Hi, this is Lee Fields, and I want to thank KXSFLP in San Francisco for all that they have done for me and for all of the others. Love that station. Love that station. And keep on listening. You're listening to KXSF 102.5 FM. My name is Cassin, and the name of my show is Moonwax. That was the Ocean Beach Bomber with his second breakfast. Stay tuned today. I have a specialty show. I'm going to air an interview I did with Scott Hirsch. For now, we're going to listen to some of his music, and we'll get into that conversation a little later on. Thank you. How's the people? We never 
Oh 
All right, you're listening to Moonwax. This is all Scott Hirsch's music. Uh, that first one was uh, Fly Like an Eagle, Scott Hirsch, Lagniappi Sessions. And then after that, The Sun Comes Up, A Purple Diamond. That was from Golden Gun. Golden Gun was a group with uh, Scott Hirsch and Mike Taylor from his Golden Messenger. Scott Hirsch is also a founding member of that band. And um, who was it? It was Stephen Gunn, I think. And that there's one album that's it that I could find and it was just great I really like it and then after that a song I've played before on Moonwax that was Scott Hirsch with No No off uh, Lost Time Behind the Moon The Riptide is celebrating 19 years of providing live entertainment to the Sunset District they survived a fire and a pandemic so they're ready to serve you they have live music on Saturday and Sunday with featured acts like Bluegrass Night every second Sunday honky tonk music on the first Sunday and so much more listings of other programming such as Saturday Bingo Open Mic Monday Karaoke Tuesday Monthly Trivia and DJ dance parties can be found on the schedule at RiptideSF.com. The Riptide is 21 plus and is located at 3639 Terrell Street. Hopping on the L will take visitors right to the Riptide. Thank you, the Riptide, for supporting KXSF, San Francisco Community Radio. And we're doing our disco there tomorrow night. And we have some cool KXSF DJs who are going to be spinning some disco vinyl for you. So come out and dance with us. Hi there, I'm Dan Carlisle. I do the Everything Show on Monday afternoon, 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. And here's a sample of my show. One, two, three, four. I got the honky I hope to see you right here Monday afternoon, 12 noon to 2 p.m. And thanks for listening to KXSF at 102.5 FM.
listening to KXSF 102.5 FM. My name is Cassin. The name of the show is Moonwax. And after this, I'm going to be airing an interview I did with Scott Hirsch. All of those songs came from him. Uh, we started off with Soul Folk Down Upon the Night from The Court and Spark Off Witch Season, which was a band he had with Mike Taylor. And then after that, His Golden Messenger, Scott Hirsch, I think engineered this one off quietly blowing at sanctuary and then a solo off blue rider song scott hirsch loss of forgetfulness underwriting for kxsf is provided by city beer a family-owned community gathering spot to sip a fresh draft while mingling with friends old and new they offer a well-curated selection of beer and wine and cider both to enjoy on-site or take home from their place at 853 Valencia Street. There's plenty of seating, and it's all in the heart of the mission. City Beer, a San Francisco fixture since 2006, is now located at 853 Valencia, between 19th and 20th. Thank you, City Beer, for supporting KXSF San Francisco Community Radio. And KXSF San Francisco Community Radio needs nurturing to blossom. When you give to KXSF, you're not only helping us support the local music scene, you're also helping us provide a platform to count countless Bay Area neighbors and activists fighting the good fight and encouraging change through collective action. Donate now to help KXSF San Francisco Community Radio grow into the kind of independent radio station you deserve. Please support KXSF at kxsf.fm slash support and click on the donate button. All right, I'm going to play this interview for you. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Scott. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on Moonwax today. I've enjoyed learning more about you. I have to say there's a lot to unpack. You've worn so many different hats in the music industry, from your solo projects to being a founding member of His Golden Messenger, a professor at NYU, your work with Echo Magic, your work as a producer with Alice Gerard, which earned you a Grammy nomination, and so much more. You're a creative force. So let's start out with Mia Dyson, since that's the whole reason you're here in San Francisco. I listened to her new record, Tender Heart, and it's beautiful. And I'm wondering what your whole part in all of that is. Thank you. Um, yes, nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, Mia Dyson, uh, Tender Heart is a record that I produced uh, last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. I produced last year. Um, it is uh, coming out in, let me get the exact date. There's a bunch of singles out already, which you probably listened to. Um, the official release date for Mia Dyson's Tender Heart is <laughs> stand by for, for all That's the suspense. Totally fine. I also think, so I noticed that on Spotify, there was several singles, like you said, but then I think the whole album might be streaming on Bandcamp or, so, or yes. no, I, or I uh, found like her press pocket, something like that. I was, able yeah, to you might, you might, you might have, you might have access to it. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so maybe that's not for everyone, but it is beautiful all the way through. <laughs> well, we're doing something really interesting with the record where we're releasing a lot of singles. So a lot more than normal. I usually do, you know, two or three. So this is kind of fun where we're, we've been trickling them out over the last few months. So it's been, it's been awesome. That is cool. Uh, it's a good little tease. The little tease. Exactly. While you're looking, I mean, just out of curiosity as a listener and not a musician or a producer or anything like that. Yeah. What would be... I don't know if you're behind the decision making on that process, but what would be the reason you choose the order and the singles in which you're releasing them? Yeah, um, I wasn't really part of the decision making for which singles uh, came out. I mean, I put my two cents in. Obviously, I have my favorites. Um, and I'm also biased because, of course, I love the whole record and I like to make records as a complete thought, a concept. So singles are always a, str a little bit of a strange um uh, 
concept for me to get get behind. I know a lot of artists now don't even make records. They just release singles, right? But I'm old school in that mode of thinking where when we're making a record, we really focus on the complete thought and even thinking about like vinyl sides as opposed to singles. So um, luckily this record is coming out on vinyl and also the release date, by the way, is February 23rd. So cool. coming, coming right up. Um, that's when the whole record will be released and the vinyl will be available as well. Um, we have pre-order available for the vinyl and that will be available at the show in San Francisco as well. So, yeah, I mean, um, we really sat down, Mia and myself, at the beginning of this, um, as you do when you produce a record. And we thought about what is this record about? What is what is going on here? What do we want to convey? What's the kind of overarching themes about how we want it to sound? And I'm, you know, at the end of the process, it doesn't always match what you started out with in your goals. But this is one of the rare cases where it really does. Like all of our goals in my mind were met. So it was really satisfying to make this record. That's nice. So, and you've worked together for a long time. We haven't actually. A couple of uh, friends of mine who are part of my Echo Magic Collective oh. here in Ojai have been in her band for a long time. Um, I mean, I've known Mia for a, a few years now, but this was the first project we worked on together for the most part. I think I engineered a few things that she made in the in the past couple of years, but this was our real first like collaboration. Very cool. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful and I'm hoping to make it, it to the show, um, cool. which I'll talk about that at the end. But for people who are listening, that's going to be, I think, on the 27th at the Makeout Room, correct? January 27th at the Makeout Room. Exactly. In the so, mission. Cool. So you've had your hands in, in so many projects and I want to talk about what you did in the past. And I, I also want to leave space for new works. I was curious, are there any other current projects that are taking your interest right now besides this Mia Dyson one? A bunch, yeah. I'm completing my fourth solo record, uh, so that will be done soon, and it'll probably be out next fall. Uh, so I'm really happy to be you know, getting to the final stages of that. I take a couple of years to make every one of my records, so it's, you know, it's kind of as a producer and a musician, it's all the time when I'm not supporting other people, I get to make my own music, so... I'm very excited to fi finish that. It's my best record so far, so super excited. And I have been working with an artist named Kim Kranz to put out her record on Echo Magic Records, um, which is our our label. So we just actually were talking today about how she's going to present her music live. If you're not familiar with Kim Kranz, she's the genius behind The Wild Unknown, who are known for making tarot cards and a lot of other beautiful kind of spiritual and mystical designs uh, and a lot of books and games and other things. So she and I used to play music together in a band called Family Band um, about a decade ago in out of Brooklyn. And she stopped making music for about 10 years. So she's back and we're releasing her record. Curious about, about your solo record, kind of if you could if you want it to give us an idea of what the vibe might be like, because I do notice these sort of marked differences between your solo records and the direction they feel like they're going in. I'm cool. wondering, is this going to have more of that soundscapey kind of completely instrumental feel, or are we going to have more of that sort of like country sort of vibe that you see in, in other pieces? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things you're referring to is the last record I released is all instrumental. It's called Ghost of Windless Day. And that was um, kind of an instrumental reimagining. Not, I, I don't call it, I don't like to call it a remix, but close to that concept of 
Windless Day, which is my record before, which has lyrics and all and all and all the stuff. But um, yes, there's space for both on this record. And I actually do that in all of my records. I, I always like to include a few tracks that are kind of spatial ambient resets. I, I find it like sometimes a little tedious to listen at least to my my own voice straight through on every song. So I like to give it give it a little bit of um a little space, like a little buffer to kind of reset the the ears. And this does have that, this new record. It has it has a real close, close sound. Like it's definitely not big and wide. It's more like real tight and kind of right here between your between your ears. And um yeah, it's gonna be called Lost Padres and um it's kind of just a It's a sad longing record, but it also is real upbeat and it doesn't take itself too seriously, which is something I'm really proud of. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. So something uh, kind of struck my interest. It was like a timing thing. You are Echo Magic. So I don't know. It's hard for me to know what you did with Echo Magic or what the people who work with Echo, at Echo Magic with did. But you at Echo Magic did work on the Netflix documentary on Ram Dass, which came out in 2017. Yes. And in 2016, you released an album, Blue Rider Songs. And I was curious if there was a correlation at play in regard to astral projection because um, I'd heard you reference astral projection when speaking about Blue Rider songs. And I, I guess I was just wondering if the work with Ram Dass maybe somehow influenced that. Yeah, um, I think it's just, you know, kind of in the in the sphere of consciousness um, as a concept. I mean, it's something I've been interested in a lot. In fact, I have a song called Dreamer on um, Windless Day, which is also about the same thing. Um, I think it's it's not really uh, maybe it was of the mind because I was working on the Ram Das doc also, but it's just something that I'm I'm always focused on and thinking about when I'm when I'm writing my songs. So. Yes, I guess yes and no, like it's probably a coincidence, but also probably just was floating around my my consciousness when I was working on that that documentary, which I love. It's have you seen it? Not yet. I'm gonna watch it though. I'm excited Yeah, to it's see it. it's very it's very good. It's um it's very quiet. So I did the sound design and mix on that. Um um and I remember I added, you know, there's they talk about mushrooms and psychedelics cuz that's part of his world and the tempt temptation was to make it very busy with sound design and i did a lot of that and then the director like systematically kind of took it away to the point where i was like kind of getting annoyed but by the end it's just i love his choices because it became very very quiet very peaceful film it's it's really nice it's um it's it's a it's a good watch it's definitely it's not even very long i think it's maybe like less than an hour long so check it out I'd like to see it and to learn more about him. I've always been kind of interested in him. I'm interested in in your thoughts on astral projection. Like if I'm someone who maybe, let's say I don't know anything about it. I, I know a bit, but as a listener, if I don't know anything about it, why does it intrigue you? Why do you make music about it? Well, I, I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on the subject at all. Um, I just, in uh, for me personally, like, and this is, you know, I hope there's not any astral projection um, like gurus out there or anything, but for me, it's just this idea of um, uh, traveling in your subconscious, like a lot of times in dreams and having relationships or thoughts or experiences in the astral plane outside of your um physical presence and i i believe that that's possible i feel like i've done it and i think that if you really concentrate and you work on it you can control it more i haven't gotten to that point yet but i think that's kind of like 
where it, where it leads to if you get really into it. To me, that's fascinating. So I write, I just like to write music about it. It is. And maybe the music is like a conduit or a way of getting there. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that there's something very musical in all of that idea. So I like to set those those ideas to music. How important is spirituality at the inner, like the intersection of spirituality and creativity and music to you, like in making music? And then also, like, how do you get there as an artist? How do you how do you get to that place where you're making these songs about astral projection? Um, I mean, I think music is is spirituality. I mean, I think that um, um, it's just for me if i'm i'm always searching i'm always looking for for meaning in in life and searching for i mean quote unquote god and i think that for me the the music is the way the way to there or, or one pathway to that so it definitely leads to songwriting it leads to lyrics it leads to you know melodic ideas for me so um i think it's kind of natural that i might write a song about astral projection or just kind of uh longing or searching for a, a higher power and I, it comes into my writing and then your music is like a soundscape it's almost tangible like i can walk into it and kind of move around and explore i got really lost in drama of shiloh off mm -hmm. of windless day and that's just me picking one because that's in so much of your work mm. and i'm kind of curious when you're creating this sonic soundscape like arranging an album like you were talking about earlier and earlier you referenced that you're like, I want to take these little breaks. Like you don't want to mm -hmm. just hear my voice. Is there a sure. certain amount of psychology at play kind of to influence us as listeners to being enveloped into the music when you're doing that? Yes. I, I mean, I, I always think about, like I said earlier, the journey of an, of a complete piece of music. I, I definitely believe that, and I'm not saying this because people think when I say this, they think I'm, oh, he's into he's a vintage guy. He only likes vintage stuff. But I actually think that the concept of a 20 minute piece of um, uh, concentration is like a perfect match for the human brain. So it just turns out that vinyl sides are 20 minutes long. So to me, that's like the best way to experience music is in 20 minute chunks. Otherwise, it just gets too long. You, you space out, you start thinking about something else. Um, so I think they kind of nailed it with that format when when vinyl when the 33 and the third RPM vinyl record was introduced in the 50s or whatever. Um, that was the uh, kind of the optimum format for music listening. And I think about that when I'm sequencing and even writing a record, I kind of work backwards. OK, this is 20 minutes, so I need three songs and they're going to do this and it's going to take you here and take you here. And then there's going to be a pause. There's going to be a break where you have to like if you have the vinyl pick it up and put turn it over. I mean, I, I know not everybody listens to vinyl, so, you know, that's fine. But even still, like, I kind of think about it in that way. And it informs the making of records. It's just, it's really helpful for me to think in that way. When CDs came out in the late 80s and 90s, it destroyed that whole thing because suddenly CDs were 73 minutes, I believe. And that's too long. But people felt compelled to fill it all up and like all the hip hop artists would do those like skits and all that stuff in between. And and they would make these 73 minute records, which were, it's just too much music for one sitting, I, I think. Um, so I love working in that format. Like I'm never going to release a record that's uh, that's over 40 minutes, basically. I mean, unless it's like a double record, but that's a whole other can of worms.
send yeah. a 40 minute jams to your songs or anything like that. <laughs> I wonder if there's a science behind that because like, even for us on the radio, like we have a loose set of rules that um, we have to take 20 minute breaks yeah. with our music as we're playing. If I'm not doing an interview show, I play music for 20 minutes and sure. I read my underwriting. There must be something to that. I, I mean, do I, you know, I, is there science or is this just I, like an assumption that you've made? It's an assumption I made, but I would not be surprised if you could, I mean, I bet you, you could look at some of the psychoacoustic or like, you know, research about human um, concentration. And I bet you like 20 minute chunks are like, there's something magical there in terms of like the yeah. biology of the brain. I bet you. I want to learn more about that. Yeah. Um, something else I want to learn more about. I'll admit I am very unfamiliar with ambisonics. And yes. you received a master's in ambisonics at NYU. And I'm assuming the use of that aids you in how you're able to achieve your soundscapes. And I was wondering if you could explain ambisonics, its uses, how it's implemented in your work and otherwise to us. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so ambisonics is a recording technology developed in the 1970s by, um, by this guy named Michael Gerzon. And um, it's kind of an extension of quadraphonic sound which was kind of an early surround sound experiment in the 1970s um it's cool you can still find records in in quad um if you look, look in record stores some sometimes you'll find one and it was made for like a four channel sound system you know in like your shag rug 70s living room <clears throat> and like a lot of pink floyd records it was it didn't really work that well was the problem but part of the technology was this idea of ambisonics and um um, I got really interested in it, um, as, you know, a spatialized way of receiving sound. Uh, I also do a lot of film sound for, for post-production for films. So, um, it multi-channel 3d surround mixing has been a, long a part of film before it, even music. So, uh, this technology was really intriguing to me because it's, a way of capturing an immersive sound with a single point source. So the mic actually has multiple capsules, but it's like one microphone that, that sits in a space and it's able to actually receive input from all around it. But then the cool thing about ambisonics is later you can then steer that image. Um, it's, it's a little bit hard to explain, but imagine like being able to capture something and then, um, you know, listen to one side or listen to focus in on a certain area. And so it allows a lot of flexibility and that's part of its its strength. I didn't know when I was studying ambisonics as a grad student, this was in 2000, um, let me think, 2007 to 2009 or so, it wasn't very popular. Like no one was talking about it. There was a very few amount of audio engineer nerds like myself who were really interested in it. But because of the rise of immersive audio, and um, gaming, it's actually become a totally valuable way of creating immersive space. So since then, it's like really become an extremely popular way of capturing and then manipulating sound for, for games and virtual reality and augmented reality. I, I'm um, wondering, is, is you teach at NYU? Yes. I read. Is that what you teach at NYU? <laughs> I teach a number of things at NYU. One of the things that I teach and did teach during the pandemic is uh, a class, a graduate class called 3D Audio. So we definitely talk about ambisonics in that. Of course, I talk probably more about it in that class than some of the other teachers who teach that class because I'm so interested in it. Um, but um, 
I haven't like since the, you know, I used to, I was teaching virtually. I live in California. So, you know, it's, I'm not in New York all the time. I don't currently have any classes. I do a summer program for high school students where we learn just audio recording techniques, how to record records, how to write and produce and all the things involved in, in, in music production. So um, that's my, I'm, I'm still technically an adjunct professor there, but I don't currently have any classes. Why has it been important to you in your life to uh, share your knowledge and to teach? Oh, it's, it, I love it. It's the best way to learn is by teaching, I found. And I get so much out of these, especially these high school students that come to this program. I, I sit down with them and I'm just like, I, I'm teaching at them, but I'm also like, tell me about what you're into. Because it's really, you know, it's really nice to hear from straight from the horse's mouth what the, what the youth is into. And these are special, these are special, special kids because they're applying to NYU for the summer. I mean, not every kid's going to do that. And they come and they just have all kinds of ideas and genre, they're obsessed with genres and like these names of things. I'm just like, I don't even know what, tell me more. What is drill? You know, like, what are these things that they're so into, you know? And I feel like, an, you know, the old dude, but I don't care. I just like, try to absorb it. So I learn a lot. What is teaching. drill? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the genre obsession is, is hilarious. I, sometimes I just want to be like, don't classify it, you know, just, just make it, but they, they can't, it's something new I've noticed that like the, just maybe because of digital like streaming or something like they have to know like, well, I don't know. It's not the right genre. Like if if the snare drum sounds this way, it's suddenly like trap or drill. I don't know what it is. It has uh -oh. to do with like the sounds and the beats mostly like the way that where the hi-hats land and a beat and things like that. Yeah. I can't give you a good, a good okay. explanation it's of what okay. drill is. I wish I could. <laughs> I had never heard of um, it. So that's one more I thing I was just thinking about ambisonics that's kind of interesting is the reason I was drawn to it in the first place is because there's this Cowboy Junkies record from like the mid 80s. Um, it's called Holy Trinity and they recorded it in a church with one of these ambisonic microphones. It's just a stereo record, but they used um, one of Michael Gerzon's early designs as an ambisonic mic to record the band live in a church, just one microphone. It's a beautiful record. And that was like kind of my ticket in. I was like, what is ambisonics? And I kind of got in through that door, which is kind of cool. I have to check that out. That sounds yeah, so cool. It's a great record. You kind of touched on it with the last question that I asked you, but maybe the answer is different. So you're a teacher, but I'm wondering who have been your greatest teachers in your life? Good question. Um, I mean, I will say that uh, my my good friend Michael Taylor from His Golden Messenger, we grew up together, but I look up to him as a songwriter and a musician. So he's been a great teacher uh, to me. Um, you know, he he's a he's a contemporary. You know, he's not like older than me, so that's cool. It's also you know, there's been other people. Um, let me think along the way. Um, uh, yeah. Um, there was a recording engineer named Scott Salter, which we did a lot of early work with. And I, I really like learned how to record, how to, how to be and not be, um, in the studio and working with people. Um, that was, that was pretty, you know, that came in my early twenties. And I always think about some of the things I learned from him. I haven't seen him in many, many, many years. He's a great recording engineer. Um, yeah, I don't know. My mom, <laughs> you know, fam family, my daughter, oh, my daughter, my 10 year old daughter, I learn a lot from actually. Oh. She's, it's amazing to just absorb her energy and be around her. And um, 
you know, they're a reflection of you, your children. So I learned a lot of good and bad things about myself and also how to be and how to not be through her. They are growing up so differently too. I love oh, watching yeah. my nieces and nephews, my nephew who's 10, the way he approaches life is, I don't know if it's what he's being taught, but he's so Zen, <laughs> he's so okay. peaceful. And he's, he just walks around and kind of teaches us all lessons and it's, it's beautiful yeah. to see, he's very grounded. That's awesome. Um, so maybe you see that with your daughter as well. I want to play pretend for a second. So imagine that me, us, the listeners, we're your classroom as a teacher, as a human, off the top of your head, what's the most important thing that you could teach us now, musical or otherwise? Hmm. Um, I would just say, um, listen, you know, like, listen, especially if you're in the, in the, um, in the business of making music, um, I think the best thing you could do is, is listen to, to people around you or just listen to your environment. Um, you might find sounds there, you might find feedback, you might find energy. Um, and I think that in general, if people listened more, they would make better things. KXSF LP, San Francisco. That was The Night Jar from Scott Hirsch off Ghost of Windless Day. And now we're going to go back to the rest of that interview.
So it's fairly clear to me you're a natural collaborator given your body of work and what you do with Echo Magic. And I was hoping you could help us flesh out your role there and how you split up all the work to create the magic that you all do at Echo Magic, what Yeah, everyone kind of does. sure. Yeah, um, we like the name Echo Magic because that's kind of our mission statement is to echo others' magic, right? So we 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 it bounces off us, and hopefully we send it back with some magic attached to it. Um, so uh, roles are a little bit like not black and white at our at our. We have a four person team, so it's myself, uh, an, another collaborator named Sid Sidney. Um, Daniel Wright and Brendan Willing James are the four of us. And I mean, we all are producers. We're all musicians. Um, we all can like run a recording console. Um, I could get really specific about our individual roles, but I don't know if it's necessary. We, we kind of fill in each other's gaps nicely. Um, we support each other in all of our projects and that might mean playing bass on a track or that might mean, um, being the vocal producer of someone's record it might mean um providing um video content for someone's record it might mean um music directing a live show so all of these things are are things that we're part of and i mentioned that we have a record label now and that's just like that was almost out of necessity we didn't mean to have a record label but at some point we realized that we have music to put out and we so we made a record label And we can only do that because we really support each other. We have, um, we've been having these um, incredible, uh, really efficient, we have a way of meeting now that's very efficient and and very um, good use of time where we just have these sort of goals and agendas that we get through. And it's been, it's a good time for Echo Magic. We're doing a lot of stuff. So speaking of collaboration, you brought it up before, you were a founding member of His Golden Messenger and you and uh, Mike Taylor got together in college and started playing music. I watched this video that Jack jo Johnson made of your punk band. That was cool. Wow, you went deep. That's great. I did. <laughs> um, I also noticed that when you were with the uh, Court and Spark, which I believe you were in that together, uh, you actually recorded with Doug Sachs. And for those who are listening and unfamiliar, Doug Sachs engineered some legendary records for The Doors. He did The Wall. He worked with Brian Wilson. If you are a regular Moonwax listener, you know I love Nielsen Smielsen. He did that one. Hell yeah. What was it like for you working with him? Yeah. So actually there's, that's a great question. Um, first of all, how, what did you think of that Jack Johnson video? Isn't that funny? I liked it. Yeah, it It's, is. Yeah, it's it was. so great. It felt like such a throwback. <laughs> like, Yeah. So we went to college together. He, I studied film at, at UC Santa Barbara, which is where I met Mike Taylor. He was an English lit major and Jack Johnson was also a film major and he was a really good filmmaker. I mean, he still is, but Yes, he was, that was. Sorry to interrupt you. I was surprised. I didn't like really know there was yeah, that. no, he was, um, he was a filmmaker and he was the, the best in their class. Like he was great. And, um, everybody was just like, yeah, when we graduate, Jack's going to be an amazing director, you know? And, um, he kind of sort of played music. Like he was in this band, like kind of a jam band. And like, he was kind of like this, the side guitar player. He maybe sang one song and then, You know, we all graduated and a couple of years later, it was like, oh, Jack just decided he was going to be a, a rock star instead. It's really funny. Um, you know, the man is very talented in, in all of his endeavors. So it doesn't it makes sense to me, but it was just a, a real funny flip of his career. Um, speaking of Doug Sachs, that's why I live in Ojai, actually, or one of the reasons. Um, Mike Taylor and I had our first band called The Court and Spark, which we was 
active in San Francisco. And speaking of the makeout room, we that was like our stomping grounds. Like we played there probably 40 times or more probably. And if we weren't playing there, we were just drinking there or at the Latin. So it's going to be really funny to be back there playing. Um, I still know the doorman, Tom, who was played pedal steel in the court and spark, which is great. And I still, and I know Martin still owns the bar, so it's going to be great to hang with all the old, old San Francisco people who are older than the Hills, including me now. So um, we can talk about the old days when San Francisco was, I had never paid more than $300 for my apartment in San Francisco and I've lived very well and it's not like that anymore. But yeah, so we were, we had made a, a record. It was the first record that I engineered for the court and spark. And so we kind of had like a budget. This is back when you, there was at least more than 10 cents in, in record in music. And we had a budget and we thought, well, we didn't use it on recording. So let's, um let's master this record with the best mastering person ever, ever. And we were obsessed with, a bunch of Pink Floyd records. We were listening to Obscured by Clouds like all summer. And we're like, who mastered this? And it was like Doug Sachs. And we're like, that guy's, that's name sounds amazing. Let's go find Doug Sachs. Is he still alive? And we found out he was, and he had a mastering studio in, in Ojai. So Mike and I got in the car and we drove to Ojai and we mastered our record with Doug Sachs, who was like super old and super cool. And had, you know, we learned that he did like everything, the wall, Nilsen, Nilsen, Schmilson and everything. I mean, it was like him and um, Bob Ludwig were the only people who mastered everything from the 70s and 80s. So it was so cool. And he thought we were such kooks. He was just like, who are these guys? Like, you know, and he took us out to lunch and he was just, I really like this, you guys. And he just was had these two big knobs and he's turning them. We're like, what does that do? What does that do? And he's like, I can't tell you, you know? Like, but it was great. It was a great experience. And that was the first time I came to Ojai. And it's just so funny that I ended up back here, living here. When I got oh, here, boy. I called up Doug and I said, hey, you mastered my record 10 years ago. And he's like, Scott, I don't remember what I did yesterday, but come meet me. We'll have lunch. And <laughs> this is one of the biggest regrets of my life is I actually didn't take him up on that. And then a couple months later, he died. So oh. I'm kind of sad. But you, I mean, you got to kind of record with him, which is yeah. pretty magic. Yeah, it was cool. Very cool. So going back to his Golden Messenger, do you want to talk about that journey with us, with that sure. band? Yeah, it's still going. I mean, I recorded their last record, um, engineered it in in a, a beautiful re- studio called Sonic Ranch. It's called Jump for Joy. It just came out on Merge. That Jump for Joy. Yeah. Um, so I'm still working with his. I don't play live in the band anymore. Um um, at some point, it just didn't make sense. I moved to California. Mike's in North Carolina. I, um, and um, that was actually the catalyst for me to start writing my own records, which I'm very thankful for. Um, when I was in his, it was pretty all consuming. We were touring so much. I toured the the, the world with his. Um, got to play at the Hollywood Bowl. I got to play on David Letterman with his. So I got to do a lot of fun things and and then I kind of stepped off the train and they've kept going and they've done amazingly as well, even even better than when I was I was, you know, playing. So it's been really cool to watch that journey and just to stay in touch and still be like recording and, and doing stuff with the band. I had the opportunity to see his golden messenger, you know, maybe a month ago. Oh yeah. At, okay. At the Fillmore. Oh great. How was it? It was great. I mean I that band a Grateful Dead vibe going on. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that band night. is Pretty incredible, those guys. Um, 
I saw the Troubadour show like a night after or a night or two after that. So in LA and it was great. I mean, I love all those guys. Mike has an incredible knack of finding young, amazing musicians who are high functioning, not weirdos and, and, um, and also just like sick ass musicians. So it's like, just it's amazing to me that he, he he's continued to do that um there's been a lot of iterations of the band even when i was in it we had you know different drummers we had different people always great people it's like the conduit through which great it's like i don't know it's like the training ground of great musicians or whatever it is but it's 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 awesome to see and that was the band that we recorded the last record with so it was fun to reconnect with all those guys i feel like i had read something where he said that the idea with his golden messenger was almost to make it like less of a band and more of a project so that it could have fluidity Yeah, in that sense where you could bring in musicians and put them out and things like that. I don't know if I'm wrong about that. No, you're totally that. right. That's exactly what it was. We had done the court and spark, which was a band. Like we had, you know, like four equal members kind of, and um, we were really trying to make it and we did pretty well, you know, in San Francisco and in some of the major cities, but, ultimately it just it kind of fell apart and i think one of the reasons was just like the understanding when you get a little older like how impossible bands are mm -hmm. and it just it's so much easier to have one person doing the thing and of course mike is such a great songwriter he can be that person and um that's when i started becoming more of taking the producer and engineer role so you know like that was kind of my contribution to the early Hiss records was, you know, I'm going to help record these and I'm going to, and also I, I switched to bass, which is really, really fun for me. It's kind of my favorite instrument to play. So um, that was just, you know, that's how it goes. And and I think that that's, yeah, you're right. That's always been the MO of that band is like, this is, this is Mike's songs and he gets to kind of call the shots and it sounds, you know, ego, egotistical or something, but it's really, it's really like the best way to do it because you know, a lot of people's in ideas don't always work out and too many couldn't be cooks in the kitchen, if you know what I mean. And that's why yeah. when there is a real band that's like actually a band, it's it's incredible because it's a lot of times they, they're short lived because it's too many idea. Like it, it can't exist. But that magic moment when it does is great. Um, yeah. But for longevity, I mean, you know, like Wilco, is that a band? I don't know. You know, it's like it's Jeff Tweedy. It's like hard to like some of these bands that you think are bands are are sort of set up in that way and he just did it like overtly like this is what i'm doing it's this is my thing you know so it makes a lot of sense it seems like intelligent and like it's functioning so i think it's a great idea but i'm also i mean i'm intrigued by your solo work and mm -hmm. so much of what you do is behind the board mm -hmm. but it's also in front of the mic mm -hmm. and so i'm like what is that process like for you to be on kind of both sides yeah, it's it's a challenge to be honest. I um I actually bring in one of the Echo Magic contributors, Daniel Wright, to help me produce because I have to be I can't be an engineer mind and artist mind at the same time. It's really hard for me. Um so like for example, on my new record, we did a few sessions. Actually it was up in the bay. I was doing sessions at a great new slash very old legendary studio. It used to be the record plant and now it's oh. uh 2200. It's called. Um, it's in Sausalito. It's like the, where rumors was made. So yeah, um, I've read, read about it. It's amazing. Yeah. So we did we did some sessions there, and you know, in that case, I um, Dan comes and helps produce, 
he played a little bit, but I hire an engineer because I, I don't want to think about that stuff when I'm when I'm trying to play. Um, but then then again, like I spend many, many hours in here in my in my own studio singing by myself and kind of just I, it, it takes a lot of set. If I set everything up, then I can let that go and then be the artist. But it's not something like good at doing at the same time. If that makes sense. It's kind of yeah, left brain, right brain stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was curious about. I was like, how do you functionally actually do this? So you've produced some pretty outstanding records for other musicians, like uh, the Gram the one you got a Grammy nomination for, for Alice Gerard, the Follow the Music, and all of the work you've done with Greg Leacano. I can't yeah. say his last name. That was name. great. I've you seen did him it. Okay, yeah. I've seen him play music yeah. so many times. I felt oh, bad cool. about that. Oh, I um, love Greg. Of the Mother Hips, for mm -hmm. anyone who's listening and loves mm -hmm. Mother Hips, they're a big San Francisco band. I was wondering if you could walk us through the recording and engineering process um, and maybe how that differs producing other people's music mm -hmm. versus your own, like we were just talking about. Yeah, it's totally it's totally different. Um, I mean, it's different on a case by case basis for sure. But I find that my own records definitely have their own pathway that I, I don't recommend for some of the people that I produce. In fact, I don't know if it's possible for them like. Um, because I have the ability to come in here and tweak and tweak and tweak and go so deep where, cause I'm on my own time. Um, and sometimes I, I definitely do that. I mean, I did that at length for Mia's record. I, I do it on every record, but when I'm producing an artist, like for Greg, Greg, for example, we've made two records together and, um, both of them, we booked dates at studios, got musicians in the room and did you know we didn't start and you know build things a few songs we did that way but i love capturing the spirit of musicians in the live room so any chance i get to do that i love it and for my own records i do that a bit too but then i take it back and mangle it and pull it apart and put it back together and like i said i do that for some artists but i always try to um I mean, producing is an interesting topic because I think that, you know, my goal as a producer is to to bring the the best out of what their songs are at that moment. And what is what is the, the clearest pathway to this musical idea? So if that means sitting in the room and pulling things apart and putting it back together, we do that. But my favorite is to do what I did with Greg's records, where we get some really great musicians in the room and we we just start playing music together. Um, so that's what I've done on, on his records, which I'm really proud of. Uh, do you think that your surroundings influence your sounds? Like you've, you've brought up a lot already moving to Ojai and I'm wondering if it's creating different music than, or if you're creating different music than let's say you did when you were a New York resident or a San Francisco resident, if the pace and the beauty of Ojai affects things. I think it does. Yeah. Um, one of the ways I mix, I sit in this room right now what i'm in right now and i you know spend hours making a mix and i am unable to tell if it's good or not and the way that i tell is i take it on a run and i go on i go up and and run in the hills the beautiful hills of ojai in at, at dawn at sunset at all different times and that's when i can listen to my work and i make notes and i come back and i make those changes and so I think it's absolutely influenced by my surroundings. I think I live in a very beautiful, fortunate to live in a very beautiful place. And um, I know it trickles into the music because I do so much of my listening outside. That's beautiful advice too. 
Um, yeah. I've brought it up a lot on my show before. I live at the beach. And like mm -hmm. sometimes when I get really stuck in my mind and I have been like absorbing all this information, if I'm researching someone like yourself, I need to go out to the beach and then like let my brain kind of start digesting everything I've learned and being in nature, it influences that 100% so in yeah. every kind of art form that I've expressed myself in. Um, and I kind of grew up close to Ojai, so I understand that beauty. It's just, there's nothing like it. Where did you grow up? Um, in Malibu. So okay. like yeah. an hour away, I think, from my memory. Um, I saw that fellow Ojai resident, again, a name I might not say correct, <laughs> Michael Jorgensen of yeah. the band Wilco, who yeah. you brought up earlier. He laid down keys for you on that 2018 endeavor, Lost Time Behind the Moon. Mm -hmm. Are you still making music together? Yes. Um, so Michael was the one person you said his name right michael jorgensen yes. um yeah he's one of the the few people i knew in fact like one of the only people i knew when i moved to ojai um i had met him we had opened for a wilco and just knew him through through music and other other endeavors and um and yeah he he's around like we we collaborate a lot he played a lot of keyboards on a, a record i'm really proud of uh that echo magic put out by brendan willing james um and um uh, we just, you know, we check in from time to time and we play on each other's stuff. And, um, he has a thing here he calls, Oh, hi-fi, which is like a listening party. And, um, we see each other on the street all, every day. I mean, Oh, is so small. You can't, you, you can't get away from people even if you want to. So <laughs> I see Michael all the time. So the first time that I, I heard your music, I reached out to you immediately because I fell in love with it. Um, I heard no, no, I was like, oh, this is great. I'm a big JJ Kale fan and um, I know that comparison is made a lot for you I hear it other people hear it and he must be a big inspiration I'm wondering who else and what else inspires you in your work wow um I mean I'm I listen to so many I love different all different kinds of music so um you know if I'm not listening to JJ Kale I might be listening to my I'm really into the um, spiritual reggae right now. So I've been just like have a lot of that on my turntable. Um, um, gospel, jazz, blues, folk, uh, you name it, British folk. I mean, it's, if it's, uh, there's so many influences that come in and I don't try to put them all on my record, but I, I, I don't, oh, I don't put them all on my record, but I certainly try to, I think, um, you know, the comparison to JJ is is one that I'm I'm never sad about. I he is right. a big influence. I love his music. There's something about it that really speaks to my inner inner musician. Um and I wear it on my sleeve. I'm just like I'm celebrating it. I'm not afraid to um to sound like him or be influenced by him. I, he's just a great artist. So yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I like to think I put my own spin on it, but um it's definitely in there. It's in the DNA. It, you 100% yeah. put your own spin on it. I read something that somebody wrote about you and I was like, oh, that's a good way of saying it. I can't remember who said it, but they were like, it was a description. That, like you were like JJ Kale on cough syrup. <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember that one. Because <laughs> it's I've like been... trippy JJ Kale. <laughs> totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. I love, you know, I love psychedelic music. I like, I like good sound, like weird sounds. Like it's part of, part of my, my attraction to, to reggae and like dub jamaican music because they're just there's always great sounds in there you know textures and um jj has great textures and so does you know uh popol vuh so i love both of them you know so it's good you kind of sparked some questions for me in your answer there was you brought up gospel and there's a song and i'm i'm drawing a blank right now i'm sorry like i said i'm a little bit under the weather okay. um it's probably song... wolves what wolves oh is my that God. the name name of the song 
that's so weird that you just like, walk inside my head like that because it's yeah the gospel wedding you know, where you astral, talk about astral traveling up. yeah yeah you gotta follow up yeah that's wolves wolves um well you said gospel and it has some some gospel like parts on it singing parts it reminds yeah. me of when the saints go marching in oh cool the yeah. song structure reminds me of that and then mm. you, the lyrics of it you said something like when you're falling fall up yeah you gotta and fall it's up. really inspirational do you want to talk about that those lyrics i mean yeah no it's that song is just about um you know dealing with anxiety and um a lot of a lot of other things but you know like the i think the chorus is you got to follow up in your head and um i think that's just yeah it's inspirational i think it's just like try to try to try to be positive and it's something that i struggle with i'm i'm definitely a pessimist so i was reminding myself more than anybody to um to uh you know there's another lyric in there that's when those wolves come to my when those wolves come to your doorstep are you going to roll with them or are you going to roll with me so it's kind of like, you know, and you got to follow up in your head. It's like you're the, you're in control of your destiny. And a lot of it is just how you react to to life. So it's the only way to survive it. Yeah. Like. yeah. And, to, you know, have gratitude along the way, even when yeah. it's really difficult. Absolutely. So we were talking about J.J. Kale being an inspiration. And I was curious, too, about uh, what reggae you were referencing that's kind of on your turntable right now. Um, Did you have anything specific? Yeah, I, um, I just bought this record and um, I was I was in Salt Lake City and there's a great record store there called Randy's Records. Um, and I'm trying to remember the, the funny thing is I put it in my suitcase and I flew home. I flew home last night. I was actually at the Sundance Film Festival and I flew home last night and they lost my bags. Oh, no. and I was really sad. Well, I'll, I they found them, but I didn't okay. get them back. And I wish I had it because it was um, I'm trying to remember what it was called. Um, Sons of Negus. Um, um, Ross Michael, I, I believe, is is um, Ross Michael. Um, and it's yeah, it's very it's like Rastafarian chant music, um, which is, you know, at the core of a lot of reggae stuff. But it's a specific brand of that stuff. And this record was a weird one. I hadn't seen it for a while. So I'm, I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm excited to put it on once I get my bag. <laughs> oh yeah. You'll have to let us know how you like it. Yeah. So of all of those people that inspire you, everyone you listen to, who would you dream of collaborating with? They can be alive. Mm. They can be dead. Wow. What would happen? Would it be a show? Would it be a record? If you can paint the picture for a sonically, would you do that? Mm hmm. Wow. I mean, there's there's so many people I'd be so excited to collaborate with slash nervous. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. of course, speaking of J.J. Kale, like, would I want to play, play with it? I would definitely want to jam with him for sure. Yeah. I just would like to be in his presence. Um, but I could say that about about anybody. I mean, um, you can you can start a super group in the stage room if you want to. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> holy cow. Um I mean, I think I, you know, that honestly, that answer probably ch would change day to day because whatever I'm actively listening to, it's like, to me, it's always it's like, this is the best in the world right now. I mean, it's just like, that's how I feel when I'm listening to music. It, it just, if I'm, if I'm feeling it, it's like everything. And I, I can't like even, I, it's like tunnel vision, you know? So, and that might change just by putting on a new record. Um, but I also will say that like, I get to play with Mia Dyson and she's, amazing like i would put her on that list of of people I, and i do get to collaborate with her so 
to make that record and then to go play with her on stage at the makeout room and play all the, all the funny guitar parts that we came up with during the record is, is a dream come true. So, um, you know, playing with Greg Loacano is amazing. Um, playing in his golden messenger, those, those people are just as important to me as any, any records I listen to from my records of from seventies music also. So, yeah. I love that answer. I, I'm so looking forward to the show. And especially now that I, I kind of get to put together this history. I have friends who've told me about that time, like make out room times and stuff like that, but it kind of all just connected <laughs> in my brain. And I, I think that's so sweet. I want to know what's next. Is there anything we should be on the lookout for with you that we should um, keep our ears and well, eyes I mean, open to? Yeah, I mean, definitely Mia Dyson's records coming out on February 23rd, Tender Heart. That's one to check out. Um, my record will be out much later in the year, but I'm excited about it. Um, Kim Cran's record, Mirror Mirror, will be out also in February. So that's one to look at. Um, let me think. Um, there's a band from Ojai that I'm part of called Radio Skies, and we'll be releasing a record this year as well. Um, yeah, I like that name, Radio Skies. Yeah, yeah. it's a good one. Everyone Great. at KXSF Radio likes that. <laughs> Was there anything else that you wanted to share with us before we we sign off here? No, I, I really enjoyed this conversation, and please come to the makeout room. I wanna I wanna hang out with all my old and new friends in the mission again like old times i definitely will i've really enjoyed this conversation too thank you for taking the time to share with us today and being open scott hirsch will be in san francisco performing this saturday the 27th at the makeout room in support of mia dyson with hot brother opening up the night tickets are available on scott's website where you can take a dive into more of his music and film work do you want to say what your website is for our listeners echo-magic.com all Check right. it out. Also, by the way, the show is early, so get there. You know, I think I play at seven. Hot Brothers is actually closing. They're an amazing band too. We, I know all those guys, and it's going to be a great, great night. All right, perfect. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank it you. Thanks for having me. You. All right, bye. Talk soon. You're listening to KXSF 102.5 FM. My name's Cassin, and this is Moonwax. The Riptide is celebrating 19 years of providing live entertainment to the Sunset District. They survived a fire and a pandemic, so they're ready to serve you. They have live music on Saturday and Sunday with featured acts like Bluegrass Night every second Sunday, honky-tonk music on the first Sunday, and so much more. Listings of other programming such as Saturday Bingo, Open Mic Monday, Karaoke Tuesday, Monthly Trivia, and DJ Dance Parties can be found on the schedule at RiptideSF.com. The Riptide is 21 plus and is located at 3639 Terravel Street. Hopping on the L will take visitors right to the Riptide. Thank you to the Riptide for supporting KXSF, San Francisco Community Radio. And another reminder that we're doing our disco at the Riptide tomorrow night. If you want to boogie, we'll be there with a few KXSF DJs. And uh, it's always a good time. So hopefully we'll see you there. And... Here's, I'm going to play you a little promo. There we go. Hi, this is the Ocean Beach Bomber. I'm the host of the Second Breakfast Show, 9 to noon, every Thursday morning. Join me for three hours of just a little bit of everything. Uh, rock and roll, psychedelic, and a strong dose of hipster country. And thanks for listening to KXSF 102.5 FM.
So that's the Ocean Beach Bomber. He's always on before me on Thursdays. And if you stay tuned, because I've got about a half an hour left of Moonwax, we're going to Boomer Bob in after me. So Thursdays are a fun day. Let's listen to a little music. I'm going to play you some more from Scott Hirsch. This one's another one from Golden Gun. This one's called Lao Song.
You're listening to KXSF 102.5 FM. Okay, so what did we listen to? That was Lao's song from Golden Gun. And then from Family Band, that was Moonbeams. Uh, Family Band is Johnny Olsen and Kim Kranz, who Scott was talking about earlier, and then with Scott Hirsch. And Moonbeams, yeah, that whole album's pretty cool. And then from his Golden Messenger, Dreamwood. If you're in the music industry and you find yourself struggling emotionally, there's now an easy place to turn for help. Backline is a mental health and wellness resource hub specifically for artists, support crews, and their families. On Backline's online portal, find a therapist, join a weekly virtual support group, or sign up for yoga or meditation. KXSF is proud to partner with Backline to find help for music industry professionals. Learn more by going online to backline.care. And Old Jerusalem is proud to underwrite KXSF 102.5 FM, a small family-owned Mediterranean restaurant with a beautiful heated outdoor patio. Old Jerusalem is 16 years in the heart of the mission. Their West Bank cuisine is a traditional spread of Middle Eastern delights. You can check them out at www.oldjerusalem.co or visit at 2966 Mission Street at 26th Street, two blocks from 24th Street Bar in San Francisco. Go. I'm winding down here on Moonwax, maybe another 15-ish minutes, but make sure you keep tuned in because after me, it's Boomer Bob with his Raven Radio. I'm going to play you some more His Golden Messenger. Here's Sunset on the Faders. Yeah. 
right, so I'm going to be signing off now. I have one more song to play for you. We just listened to Sunset on the Faders and New Grape off his Golden Messenger, Jump for Joy. And then from Mia Dyson, who's going to be playing with Scott Hirsch this weekend at the Makeout Room. That was Roll Me Out. That last one was Even Though I Lost. That was Greg Loyacano of The Mother Hips. That was Giving It All Away was the name of the album. That one was produced by Scott. And I'm going to play Dragging Me Down off Tender Heart, the new Mia Dyson album that Scott Hirsch is on. Remember, Makeout Room, I think it's 7 o'clock this Saturday. Stay tuned. Boomer Bob is next. I'll be back here again next week, same time, noon to 2 on Thursdays. Thanks for listening in. Have a beautiful rest of your week. Here's Mia Dyson. In the heart Today he was talking Taking the lead Will I be walking Or down on my hands Torn up and mocking All of my plans All that I promised Dog.